Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. Today's guest is Laura Crenshaw. She's the founder and CEO of Mthulhu.com. Mthulhu's mission is to stabilize and expand the storytelling industry. Now, that's a pretty broad mission statement there, but we're going to discover just how that is going to come into play. And uh, so with that, let's uh, just get started. Hello, Laura. Hello, John. So um, I did a real, not even a two-bit intro description (laughs) of what Mthulhu is. So a little bit of like what Mthulhu is and how it came to be. Then we'll get into the, I got this deck here that's like three inches thick of all these cards. (laughs) But um, how it actually gets used in all the different senses and perceptics and stuff that person has. So first of all, so how you came to start Mthulhu and what it is. Sure. Well, um, I attended business school at Arizona State University. Um, I knew I wanted to be a writer and I was confident in my writing skills and I knew I could pick up the rest of what I needed to learn, but I wanted to avoid the starving part of the artist profession. Right. And I knew that business and marketing skills were a full half of being able to thrive. And so um, I went and pursued a business entrepreneurship degree. Um, And business school made me a far better writer in ways that I had never expected. It taught me to pay attention to um, my uh, end customer experience, to talk with them, ask them questions about what they were interested in, and and to let that influence what I create. Um, So those are really good writing skills Mm -hmm. and really good business skills if you can learn to incorporate them. But... In the process, I we did all these fascinating case studies on industries all over the world, and I became aware that publishing is one of the only industries in the world that doesn't nurture its primary content creators. Most other industries will invest the the extra that they uh, the extra profit, the fat of their greatest successes, and they'll turn around and invest it in a research and development department, mm-hmm. um, and. So seeing how different, you know, the software and and even the coffee industry, for example, um, treats their primary creators mm-hmm. versus the publishing industry really got me thinking. And just through a series of projects with different classes, um, I kept coming back to publishing industry questions. Um, and so one of my one of my classes, the sole purpose of that class was to make it so painful to. Uh, get a grade because it's important to talk to your customers. It's also really hard to go do those customer interviews. It's tremendously intimidating Mm -hmm. the first time you have to go out and do that. And the whole purpose of this class was to make it so painful that we had to go do it. Right. Um, Because our entire grade depended on those interviews. And that's when I, it was around that time that I started thinking about um, character archetypes and story building Legos. Like what are the, we all kind of have similar pieces that we're working with, um, and there's there's a limited set of universally relatable characters and places and, and human experiences, but what are they? Mm-hmm. What's that full spectrum of human experience in, in like their minimum viable story format? And so I, I started talking with other authors about what got them stuck and, and what made it hard to write great things. And so that's kind of where the cards came from. We were looking for... 
a way to help people break away from what they'd seen recently in other stories and lean on um, really high quality literary classic ideas in intelligent ways and leverage symbolism uh, with a little bit of chaos mm -hmm. to help fill in the sideline details in their stories. So um, there are other storytelling prompt tools out there, but to my knowledge, we are the only one that really emphasizes um, moving away from cliches and finding on the story only you can tell. Um, so does that answer your question about where we came from? It does, and it's, um, we'll get more into this now into, okay, so what is all this stuff that you're talking about? <laughs> but now we've got all your science behind it, mm -hmm. you know, or at least some of the science behind it there. So. You know, how much have you found, so I'm assuming this is mostly for a new writer, or does this get used also by established writers too? Actually, it's been super fun to see the spectrum. We wanted these cards to be simple enough that even like teenagers could use them, um, but powerful enough and useful enough that professionals could use them. And I had a, an amazing opportunity to meet Mike Barker, who's one of the uh, co-creators of American Dad. He also wrote um, on the show Family Guy for like a decade. So I was in a venture capital experience class, mm -hmm. met a, uh, a VC who put me in touch with his friend Mike Barker because uh, he thought the cards were interesting and he wanted to see how good are they. And I was also honestly very curious. So <laughs> he, he, uh, he put me in touch, we went and had coffee um, and Mike is very busy, he gave me half an hour of his time and we sat and talked for four and a half hours and just had an amazing experience talking about these cards and, and he turned around and gave me this um, really glowing endorsement uh, that after two years of working in television, he's never seen a tool as sublime and useful as Mithulu, which really got me in the heart, like <laughs> made me so happy that, that a tool, you know, that just came out of the head of some college kid um, was something that served and elevated somebody who by his own admission never experiences writer's block, but still values being challenged by the assumptions he's making in his stories. So we have now a wide variety of endorsements from a variety of people, including James Owen, Jim Butcher, Dakota Kraut, Wayland Smith, um, and most recently R.R. Verdi. Um, so some, some wonderful and glowing endorsements from professionals in the field, but these these are also simple enough that they can be used for bedtime stories with your kids. And um, I've had accountant fathers come up to me on multiple occasions, different, different fathers, uh, and buy these for bedtime stories with their kids. And these aren't, these aren't people who have any background in story. They're very mm. left-brained, but it still creates a, a very simple space where they can begin to be creative with their kids. Mm -hmm. um, and I, there's a funny story my brother uh, has, he has a couple of daughters, and they were fighting one day, playing play pretend, and um, and I guess they were fighting about who got to be the princess. <laughs> um, and he pulled out the cards, and he's like, "Well, you can both be princesses of different things." And so they started like drawing cards to to reconcile who was the princess of what, and um, and just had a great time with it for an hour. And a couple days later, they came back and and wanted to play with Aunt Laura's cards again. So. Um, yeah, they're, they're designed to be super useful for a professional, but also very accessible. That's great. And now with, I mean, I've done a lot of interviews with, with authors and the subject of writer's block. And the last one I did with Jonathan Mayberry just said, it's just, it's a pretense, you know, just there's so many different workabouts 
you know, to not ever have to succumb to writer's block. But I look at this thing here, and it's, it's not so much that it's, at least when looking at these things after you went through them with me last night, that it's not so much that it's even a writer's block, it's just it's more of a, a way, an increased way to create a story, making sure you touch on the various perceptics that a person has so that some people are very, you know, they, they're oral, some mm -hmm. are tactile. We, we talked about that last night. Yeah. You know, this takes it way more than that, than, than beyond that. So talk about that a bit, because I think that's just fascinating. Yeah, well, we've invested heavily in gorgeous art. You sir sure uh, have. Thank you. <laughs> I, I uh, was a photographer for a lot of years, and I'm such a sucker for beautiful lighting and vibrant colors. It's not a sucker. It's just an appreciate aesthetics. <laughs> um, so, we, yeah, we, we spent a good amount of time and uh, resources pouring into finding the best artists we could and uh, licensed a, I mean, we have more than 100 artists from 50 different countries around the world who have contributed to these cards. Um, and we were looking for the right pieces of art that would challenge your understanding of like a character archetype. So you have, um, so archetypes are patterns that you have in stories um, that you see recurring through mm -hmm. generations all the way back to Homer and Shakespeare and, and so forth. And when you use those patterns in a way that people expect, we call it a cliche or a trope, but those patterns can also be used in really brilliant ways. And so each card, we wanted something that challenges the tropes and cliches, and it was either in the art or in the, the title or in the flavor text. Um, so if it's like a, a really negative idea, um, like we have a card... Uh, if it's a negative idea, we look for a positive spin on it. And if it's something that is very stereotypically a positive idea, we look for something that, like, well, here's the harsh reality of that, that negative idea. So a fun example of an unexpected detail. In starter pack B, we have a new card, caffeine. That's one of the elements. Mm -hmm. um, caffeine is actually a natural insecticide that plants produce. Um, but it helps like larger organisms uh, postpone fatigue. So that's like a fun little detail. It's in the flavor text of that one. Um, that's a fascinating way to call it. Postpone fatigue. I always used to stay awake, but now I'm postponing fatigue. And you're postponing fatigue. You're just, you'll still feel it just sure. later. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, the goal with these cards was, and with the art in particular, was to spark people's memories. Because, uh, you know, and, and you hear people talk about author voice. Author voice is the rare and unique experiences that people have had. The memories, the striking and unusual situations we find ourselves in fuel our stories. And I have found that through asking people deep questions about those rare and extraordinary experiences that make them a unique human being, mm -hmm. um, it reveals a lot about their passions and beliefs and, and just phenomenal story details will come out of those. So I always know that we're reaching the right place when I'm doing a card drawing with people. I know I'm reaching the, the right level of inspiration when people, their light, eyes light up and they start saying, oh my gosh, that reminds me of a time when I, and they, they launch into a memory and I'm like, great, let's dig into that memory and see how we can personalize the details in your story based on what you remember from real life. 
Good. So now with these, with these cards, there's in this deck. This is deck A or deck one or. Uh, what you were holding in your hand is starter pack A. Starter pack A. Mm -hmm. So how many cards are in here? There's 150 cards in starter pack A, and another 150 in pack B, and we're running a Kickstarter right now. I think it'll be done by the time you launch this podcast episode, but um, we actually designed them together. We, the initial brainstorm for our whole core deck was 300 cards, and we split them into two decks, um, first of all, to make it affordable to print, to acquire the art and so forth, and second of all, to make them uh, a little more accessible, affordable to buy. Okay, that's cool. So now, mm -hmm. so I'm just, I'm pulling out these cards, and so I've got like, the first one I see is vibrating, and then the next one I open up is, is rust. So, and then klepto. So, <laughs> how is the person, you just, so there's how six do you go about categories. using these things? There's, okay, six there's categories. There's six categories. These are six principles of human experience. Um, the categories are elements, so physical substances that things are made of, habitats, which is where we live, Characters, which usually revolves around identities and how we spend our time. Relationships, which is the foundation of most motives. Mm -hmm. um, and then traits and textures. Um, and textures change how the world interacts with us. So, for example, if something's fuzzy, like you want to touch it, right? Mm -hmm. And that can lead to violated boundaries. Um, and if something is made of rust and razor wire, we all, we all stay way back. So textures are one of our first clues for how we interact with something. Um, traits is a companion deck to textures, and it, it's the, the energy that we put out in the world. So um, elements and habitats kind of go together. Uh, characters and relationships kind of go together in the traits and, and textures. And using some random combination of, of these details, you can fill any story detail. So you use this, so like you're, I guess you could do all kinds of ways. So like if you're wanting to know some basic elements to start a story or once you're in a story, how do you get more depth to it? Yeah. Is that an idea? Or yeah. Is that so you can use it for any layer and, and any genre even. Um, so what were the cards you had? You had vibrating and vibrating klepto and, and, and rust. rust. Yes. So uh, those are cards that might come up if you're drawing a monster, for example. Um, and vibrating is a, is a form of resonant energy that's moving through something. It's like a rumbling. And it's a great card because uh, that's a very tactile one you can mm -hmm. feel in your body. So if I drew vibrating for a monster, this is a monster you feel coming from a long way away. Um, and rust, you could add that detail. You know, you look at the card and you have like this, this rusted guy, but he's in a green area. And that kind of makes me think of like, what if you have an animal a really big animal that moves through a forest, but it, it kind of leaves like more of a organic rust that's like killing the forest in massive swaths. Um, and then klepto is usually like a fun interactive component. Um, that's a trait, so that's changing how the monster is interacting with the world. So maybe this is a monster that runs around stealing things. Maybe it's not a monster that hurts anybody, uh -huh. um, but you still have to deal with the fact that it's taking your stuff. Um, so that could be more of like a, a lighthearted, fun monster, maybe even a monster you can tame and befriend. So, um, but you can use these cards, you can use those same cards for character backstory motivation or for building out a, a building or for designing fashion for somebody's clothes. Like the questions that you bring to the cards completely change how you're interpreting what you get. And that's part of what's so fun about them. These are... 
and, and that's why we call them like the periodic table of storytelling. These are, are just little chaotic creative constraints that force your brain to like leverage its full imaginative mm-hmm. capacity. Um, and we get like bizarre and awesome ideas that come from the cards like that. Okay. So now we also talked about last night and we're going to be bouncing around all over the place on this interview mm-hmm. just because it's, you know, these cards open up so many different facets. So, cause I said, is this like, did this come from an idea of like role-playing games? Because the whole thing of like you, you, you know, with <laughs> RPG, like you just pick a card and then you, that's what you are there. So mm-hmm. it, that was my first thought of this, but you were quick to in, enlighten me that no, it's not. Well, I remember doing research and um, Joseph Campbell's work is widely known, The Hero's Journey. And as I was... Uh, thinking about these character building blocks, I, I took a look and read pretty deep, deeply through Joseph Campbell's work um, on character archetypes. And, and I remember noticing that he'd kind of lumped uh, relationships and identities together, but they're two very different things. And you can have somebody that's one of both. And when you need one or the other in your story, you need one or the other and, and the opposite just won't do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was in... But then I also looked at his stuff and I was like, you know what, there's a whole lot that's missing here. He's sort of taking a broad paintbrush and capturing like a lot of common ideas, but but not necessarily all the ideas. So as we started brainstorming through these cards, I remember just like voraciously devouring books and movies and and starting to think like, what are the fundamental building blocks of this story? And could you reverse engineer this story um, using the Mithugu cards? And if not, what are we missing? Um, so I was always looking to fill... I've seen a lot of theories out there where they, they it's long lists of, mm-hmm. of like different character types, but we're really seeking for a comprehensive list, um, almost like uh, tvtropes.org, um, but something that's a little more digestible and interactive. So, so on this, um, on these cards, it seems like it's, you, you're talking about like uh, accountants using this to uh, tell stories to their kids. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it's a lot more than just that though. Um, you're talking about other people of, of, with other, within other industries using these as well. Yes. How does that work? So because these are principles of human experience, they work for stories, but they also work for thinking about people. So people will use them for uh, marketing campaigns or to sit down and brainstorm consumer pain. Or um, I'm trying to think what else, uh, for architecture. If you're looking for interesting ways to uh, either decorate the inside or outside of a building, it's useful. You can use it as a realtor for staging a house. Um, and imagining like the type of person that go would go in there. The truth is like we use creativity in every job. Well, maybe not every every job. Accountants should be a little less creative. <laughs> um, but but most most jobs require some level of creativity to thrive and to stand out. And I'm I'm really passionate about helping people understand like what they uniquely have to offer in whatever they're whatever their employment is. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Or yeah, do that's more good examples? on that. It's okay. just, because it seems something like this that's so basic and universal, it wouldn't just be applying to storytelling and writing a book. Mm-hmm. It, it could be to all, so many different facets of life. 
I love using them for memoirs, actually. It's fun to, like, put these in front of people where you're trying to gather stories from their life. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, tell me a memory that you have of a stranger. Or tell me a memory that you have about water. And just those little prompts, like you'll have these gushing memories that come from people. And, and that's a really fun way to use them just to like get family stories. It makes sense that it would. And then, so any other type of creative professions? I'm, I'm just wondering here now with like an artist, mm-hmm. how they would use this to be able to maybe just come up with something creative would be the because mm-hmm. they're, they're going to have whatever they're going to have. But if they're going to get into like, okay, what am I going to paint now, that this could be something that could be used to inspire. And the, cha- the challenge is always the pursuit of novelty, right? Mm-hmm. And the so a little bit of the neuroscience behind these cards. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of Daniel Kahneman. He's an award, uh, Nobel Peace Prize winning economist, and he did some fascinating research on the capacity of our brains and the shortcuts that we take to make difficult decisions quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out that our brains can only hold about six ideas at a time before we have to start grouping them or like moving them to short-term memory by like repeating them. And that's why like a phone number, seven, seven numbers, but we group them into two sets because we can't remember a string of seven numbers at once by default typically. And the same thing applies to anything creative, whether you are a novelist or a painter. Um, when you look at a blank canvas and you start like looking in your head for something to create, the brain automatically reaches for the six most recent successful things that have left an impression on us. And it takes tremendous creative discipline to reach past that. Um, And, uh, you know, and we we were talking about writer's block, right? Mm -hmm. Like what is writer's block? And some people have, the, the three things that I see that get people past writer's block typically are really good market data, um, so if, you, if you're willing to go and talk to your customers, that gives you your, your starting initial seed. Or if you're willing to embrace imperfection, or if you're willing to just like sit and brainstorm to death um, to get past those first six ideas, those are where the unique ideas come from. But everyone else, like their creative conscience starts speaking up because they, they want to write something unique, but the brain is like stuck on these first six ideas and that's where they get stuck. And that's where these cards come in. So I have seen painters use these cards. Um, and they're sometimes they use them for coming up with an entirely new painting. Mm-hmm. And they're just looking for, like, what is my initial starting seed? And sometimes they're like, well, I know I want to paint a dragon, but I want to paint, like, a really unique dragon in an interesting situation. And that's where they'll start with their dragon, but then they fill in sideline details with the cards. Okay, that makes sense on that. So now with these, um, with these cards then, so this is 150, then you have the next deck with another 150. That's like a lot. Yeah. I think uh, if you draw just three cards, not even taking order into account or the, um, uh, or the questions you're asking, like just the raw combinations that can come up three cards, three times 300, like the number of unique permutations is uh, 20 million, I believe. 
So, and, but the, the truth is like Dakota Kraut, I was talking with him earlier and he, um, so he owns Mountaindale Press and uh, has a whole bunch of authors underneath him. And he loves doing these like little retreats with his authors and he'll pull the Mithulu cards out and just draw three cards and he'd say, here's your prompt, everybody do something. And it's the same three cards everybody's using, but then they come back and everybody has wildly different interpretations because what we bring to the story uh, has such a dramatic impact on how mm -hmm. we look at the cards. So technically there's 20 million permutations, but that's 20 million permutations per person. Tracking, tracking on that. All right, so now on, um, so, right, so for person wanting to, to get these, these cards, because it's M-Y-T-H-U-L-U, creation cards, and this is uh, this pack, and um, so how would a person get this? So there are a couple of ways. Um, we do sell them on our website. We're, they're also available on Amazon.com. Um, we're working on expanded distribution. If there's anyone listening who has distribution <laughs> plug-in, please contact us. We, are, we would love to help like, get these further out there in the marketplace so that we can help more people, more creators. Um, the, the physical decks are $45 each, um, but we, we believe in these cards so much and we want everyone to have access to them. So we also have a mobile app on uh, Android and iOS um, that unlocks the entirety of Starter Pack A for free, no strings attached, um, for, for people to use. Um, so yeah, there's the physical. It's online. Uh, it's a mobile app, so phones. Yeah. So okay. you can use it on your phones. Um, oh, and I forgot, we do have like a VR version too through Tabletop Simulator. So if you happen to own an Oculus Rift and you <laughs> want to play with your friends over like uh, stream Twitch, their uh, pack A is available for free through Tabletop Simulator as well. I left mine at home, so I'll have to... Uh, you left your Oculus at home? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so on, um, now the art in here is is amazing so is this art you had created for this or did you shop around to find it is this or some of it is custom commissioned um a few pieces one of the artists that we're particularly proud for having worked with is rochelle mckelvey she is one of peter jackson's movie concept artists she's mm. worked with weta for years um on movies like avatar and i forget um she, she was also working on some some really cool interactive ex exhibitions for the world fair in dubai uh, so she, she did the monster card that we're really proud of. Um, there's another artist, Tithi Luidong from the Philippines, I believe, uh -huh. um, who is responsible for about one sixth of the art in pack A. Um, so, and then there were, there were some pieces that were originally photographs and we had them repainted. Um, one of my favorite cards is the orphan card. Um, and there is a photojournalist by the name of Thomas Tom, who is super passionate about alleviating the pain of orphans in the Philippines. Um, so the art on the orphan card is actually originally a real photojournalism image. It's a very moving image and it's, it's uh, a boy holding his toddler younger brother and they're just living in the streets and, and some like seven-year-old boy trying to keep a three-year-old alive on the streets in the Philippines. And, and we included that one in there because it's really easy to, to fetishize the pain of others. And I really wanted to emphasize like the, the real world difficulties that people can face. Mm -hmm. So there's a wide variety of art here from a wide variety of sources. Um, all of it going back and, and trying to 
to help people create better art that serves the world in in compassionate and powerful ways. Um, yeah, it's just. Um I mean, I look at these cards here, and it's, it's obviously a labor of love. You know, that's just, I mean, that just shines through on this thing here. Thank you. So. It is, I mean, this is, Mithulu's mission is to stabilize and expand the storytelling industry, but I also take that to heart personally. Like, that is what I see as my life mission, and I have, I, I put in 60 hours a week right now trying to get this company off the ground and help it thrive because I really want to see authors thrive and mm -hmm. I really want to see readers like just drooling over their books mm -hmm. and, and I, I know that we're all in this together and that books are better when authors are taken great care of and it's, it's an ecosystem that I'm, I'm really motivated to, to step in and help any way I can. Well, that's great. So, how did you come up with the title Mithulu? Because my first thought when I saw this was, was the, the, the horror creature Cthulhu. Yes, H.P. Lovecraft. Uh -huh. um, Mithulu was actually my brother's idea, uh, Calvin Crenshaw. He, he has a gift for coming up with fun and distinctive, memorable company names. Um, and uh, it is uh, a little bit of a riff back to Cthulhu. Right. Um, we, we knew that we wanted to inspire original and modern myths, and we saw H.P. Lovecraft's work as some of the most recent, uh, truly original and distinctive monsters. Um, so, yeah, that's where the, the name came from. I get it. But it's myth, so it's obviously... Myths, yeah. Storytelling. Mythulhu. So this is currently available in the U.S.? Yes, it's currently available in the U.S. That's one of the reasons we're working on expanded distribution. We had a lot of fun trying to get our cards across the border to Canada last year. I think we shipped the same box across the border seven times. <laughs> uh, trying, to, trying to deal with customs and all, all sorts of exciting things. So we're working on expanded distribution. We have fans in Europe and Japan and Australia and Canada who have been begging for native shipping. Um, so we're not there yet, but they are available yeah. widely in the U.S. Yeah, well, the, this podcast is listened to from over 100 countries, so there'll definitely be some awareness generated as, as a result of this podcast. So on, you got the cards, but you've also got other things. When looking at your website, you also have other aspects to what you do because it says on here you got the cards, but there's also then the e-magazine mm -hmm. and... Um, you said there's also then, there's free instruction videos and a podcast, which is in progress yeah. being put together. So Yeah, we're in the process of recording some podcast recordings, and, and that comes down to wanting to provide really good educational materials. So we're, we're sort of feeling out what medium is going to be best for our audience, whether it's in a video format or audio. But we do have, I think, about a dozen episodes recorded that we're looking forward to releasing soon. Um, the magazine is one that I'm particularly proud of. We have a great magazine team. Uh, shout out to my assistant editor, Hannah Jabber. We have some great slush pile readers um, and columnists. Uh, there's just, uh, Jessica Guernsey and Danielle Harward and Sarah Evans and a lot of people who've put in, in tremendous love to make this magazine. Our editorial mission is to help authors make a living. Right. And so each uh, issue that we, p we put out addresses a core aspect of story marketability and like story quality that we see 
um, young authors and aspiring authors struggling with. So, for example, the most recent issue we put out is Horror versus Hemophobia, and that addresses the ethics of gore, because I would regularly see in slush piles people um, using blood very haphazardly, uh, trying to reflect realism in their stories, but not necessarily thinking through the symbolism or the impact on the reader. Um, and so that's like a 70-page debate, like two-sided debate, mm -hmm. um, pros and cons when we have an interview with an EMT in there, as well as like a horror author and an interview with a hemophobe, and then a mother uh, of uh, young children who writes Kidlet. Um, so, you know, we have fun. We, we mm -hmm. love addressing both sides of an issue in each of our issues. Okay, that makes sense. Now, because you've got, you don't have a whole lot of experience yourself as a writer, but you've got an amazing dedication or desire to help writers. Where'd this come from? It's, it's, <laughs> it, it just struck me that you talk, talk about your, your magazine, then you got these podcasts and you got these cards here and you just want to help these writers. So it's like, it seems like there has to be some genesis of this that... Oh, don't get me wrong. I love stories and I, I am a writer. I'm very passionate about it. I think that was born... I think a lot of storytellers get their, their start with fan fiction. Mm -hmm. And growing up, I was just a raving fan of the Redwall series. And there was a really warm and talented fan fiction RPG community, um, Starfire's Forum, that I was on when I was 11. And my siblings and I, would we would get on every computer in the house. And we would spend like 10 hours a day just playing with these other people online uh, through these little characters. It was anthropomorphic fantasy, so animals acting like people. And man, we had a good time. And just that raw practice and working with people uh, and figuring out what does it take to get other people to want to play with you on mm -hmm. a forum? Like, you learn from that really fast. And so my, my mom and my dad started seeing our, our like, our skills growing quickly. And, um, and so they just let us literally spend all day if we wanted to playing on, on these forums. So I'm very fortunate. I grew up in a, a huge family, very creative-minded. Our mom read to us when we were little. And... Uh, and we just all loved stories. And I probably wouldn't have wanted to be a writer if my sister hadn't wanted it first. My big <laughs> sister, I just like worshiped her. And I remember when she was like really little, she decided she had an imaginary friend that was a dragon. And, you know, she was like nine or something and, and uh, would tell me all about it. And I'm like this little five-year-old that follows her around. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. I want an imaginary friend dragon too. And so uh, she and I would, she would do this really interesting thing where at night she would tell me stories about where she had gone in her dreams. And I would fall asleep to these stories and then I would dream about whatever she had been talking about and then the next night she would ask me what I dreamed about and she would weave that into whatever she had dreamed about and so it created this like bizarre scenario where we shared dreams mm -hmm. for like years and we did this till we were about 13. Wow. Um, just a lot of years and Later that, you know, we shifted from imaginary friends when we realized that wasn't cool anymore. We started, we're like, well, writing is cool. So we started writing about our imaginary friends and came up with like a, 
I think we outlined 78 episodes of a six-season, like, TV show idea based on those, like, imaginary friend. And that was just practice, you know, good, really good writing practice. And, and I do have some projects, some fantasy projects and stuff that I've been working on. But I think in the, in the process of working on my fiction, I have become aware of how difficult it is to understand, to get your work assessed quickly, Mm -hmm. efficiently, to get clear direction on how to move forward, to connect with people in the industry when you're ready. And it is through that process, that, that agonizing process of just like a decade and a half of figuring out how, how to write good stuff and then how to get it in the right people's hands and realizing how hard that is that my entrepreneurial side has woken up and said like, oh, we can do better. And so, yes, I am super passionate about stories, but I, I also have that entrepreneurial bug in my ear. And those fight sometimes, yeah. but, but I think the compassionate side and the entrepreneurial side wins out because I'd love to help myself get my stories out there, but I, I really, really want to help other people get stories out there. Wow, that's great. That really is great. Thank you. So now, how do you see yourself and or your business moving forward you know hopefully this gets some increased awareness of thank you yeah no i really appreciate the platform thank you for for sharing and and it's such a, a pleasure and privilege to talk to your audience where we are going next so cards and magazines are just the beginning uh-huh. we have a big we have a big dream and our goal is in the next five years, we want to rid the industry of slush piles and query letters. We have a plan to make it happen. And we are starting to build what's called a vertical market. Um, you, and you've seen these a little bit in other industries. The basic idea is we're starting at a ground level. We're working on building a piece of writing software that leverages 21st century technology. Um, it will be free to use. And we've been doing interviews with the most prolific millionaire writers that I know um, about their writing process. So looking, trying to understand, doing research into the maximally efficient writing process for a minimum viable story at a industry standard quality. So a a simple, fun, easy to use piece of writing software with no learning curve that that guides your attention to the, the single next most important thing. Um, it will have backups in triplicate for free. Um, and we're, we're just devoted to security and simplicity and focus. Mm-hmm. And um, as writers work within the software, um, they'll also have the ability to work directly with beta readers and have a, a heat map glance at the overarching feedback and see all kinds of awesome statistics presented in beautiful, easy-to-use ways um, for the slow parts in their stories and and where it needs to be edited next. So really guiding their attention as as writers work within this software, it gives us the opportunity to provide publishers and agents with real market data for the first time. And and that is what we're we're hoping to swap out. So the slush piles and query letters are a coping mechanism right now for the lack of market data for these manuscripts. So 
agents will will receive these manuscripts and make educated but gut decisions based on what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. And the result of that is sometimes wildly original stories get passed on because people just don't know how to market it. And there's no proof that the market is interested in something different. But uh, the system that we are setting up will provide that market data so that you can make better decisions, even if you don't personally love the way a story is presented, the, the authors will have a little more oomph because they can prove, no, readers really do love this and I have the, the ability to connect with them. So we're hoping that this system overall reduces the, the amount of effort that authors have to put forward to get themselves out there mm -hmm. and rewards them for engaging in their most profitable activity, which is writing. writing. So it keeps them focused and at the same time reduces, dramatically reduces the risk to publishers and agents and, and creates a healthier one-stop shop ecosystem that we can all thrive together with. So that's my dream. I'm in the process of building networks and connections with people. I'm very interested, anyone who has connections, who's interested in integrating with this vertical market system, we're very interested in talking with them. That seems like there's quite a bit of um, programming. It is, and, uh, and that's where, you know, the cards come in. The cards, um, we know that $45 is a, a little bit of a high price point for cards, um, but the cards are there to help fund this software. And we are, we were very lucky to have some angel investing early on when we first built Mithulu. And we are at the point where we're ready for a second round of investing. Um, so we're trying to nurture some of those venture capital leads and, and look for somebody who is passionate with us mm -hmm. about improving storytelling worldwide. Because this, it, it affects a the publishing industry, but it also affects like the, the film industry. Yeah. You know, you have multi-million dollar projects that hang by the thread of storytelling. Those storytellers are responsible for thousands of jobs. And, you know, and there's a responsibility there mm -hmm. to, to deliver like brilliant stories. And I believe it can be done brilliantly every time. So we're, we're looking for, for ways to support storytellers wherever we can. And, and we're at the very beginning of putting this all together. I am very blessed to have a really good team. Uh, our chief technical officer is Autumn Valenta. We call her our techno goddess <laughs> because she's so brilliant. She's a really fast programmer, and she has single-handedly put together the alpha version of this uh, software, Mithulu Inc., and we're just starting to play with it a little bit internally and, and testing it to make sure it's stable before we start putting it in front of uh, our beta testers. Right. But, uh, and, and she, I can definitely see the look in her eyes. She's definitely like, yeah, I could use some help here. Like, <laughs> we need more programmers. We need more people. And, and um, so that's, that's where I, it's my job to reach out, do the networking, to find people who are interested, build the team up more. Um, it is going to be a lot of programming and, and a lot of funding that we're, we're looking for over the time. But I think the dream is solid. And as we're talking, as I talk with people at conventions mm -hmm. like this, I find a lot of other people with other connections and, and other abilities who share this dream. This is, you know, this is something that I, I am a spokesperson for, an advocate for authors and an advocate for readers and an advocate for publishers. I, I believe we can all thrive together, but there are other people who share this dream. And, and so what I'm doing is reaching out and looking for those people and trying to bring them all together so that as a team, we can change the way the industry operates. 
Wow, that's um, definitely a mile-high goal you've, <laughs> you've got there on that. Thank you. So, so the podcast, so you've been recording some, but you've not launched it yet. So what's the basic concept we're trying to do with the podcast? Um, the podcast is, uh, it's honestly a lot of similar content to the magazine. It's an opportunity for us to just sit down and have like a fireside coffee chat on some of the difficult topics and, and to address some of the questions that people pose to us. Like I have people come up and talk about like, who are these people that you reference on the side of your box? You, you know, you talk about being inspired by Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung, Shakespeare, Homer, Hafiz, Milton, Chaucer, Diogenes, but like, what are the ideas that you drew from them? And what are some of these theories that, that made their way into the card? So it's, it's a way for us to spitball a little bit and, uh, and talk about those ideas. Um, there are two episodes that were really fun to record. One, one deep dives into um, Joseph Campbell's theories, not just like the Wikipedia skim version, but like, no, what, is he actu- what did he actually mean with these theories? And then we contrast that with what I consider a superior theory, uh, which is like, was it called? The, the Journey of Reenchantment by Craig Chalquist, who is a not well-known university professor, but has a brilliant brilliant theory that I think is is a step better than the hero's journey. So we have one episode recorded on the hero's journey and another on the journey of reenchantment and why I think it's a better structure. So. Wow. That's, um, the hero's journey is one of those really long established and well accepted and much praised and admired. Mm-hmm. And it's done a lot of good. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I think with that one in particular, there are, you know, no theory, every theory has its exceptions. And even the very best advice, you know, once you get far enough in your craft, there are times to break the rules that helped you a lot when you were just getting started. The thing I love about the journey of reenchantment is it, it, it explains one thing that always bugged me about Lord of the Rings, where you have this story of somebody who goes home and then they get stuck. And, and so watching the movies, like, it always feels, like, tremendously sad right at the end because Frodo doesn't get his own happy ending. And with the journey of reenchantment, the hero has one more step after returning home, and it's to open the door to others. Um, so. All right. Now, you mentioned here refined using story crafting principles taught by, and one of the names you have is Brandon Sanderson. He's... He's yeah. one of our con- contest judges for Writers of the Future. So how did he come to play on this? So Brandon Sanderson did a creative writing class at BYU. I don't know if he's still teaching there. Sorry, Brigham Young University. I was a guest speaker there. It's been a couple years now, but yeah. yeah. So my brother actually took his class years ago, and somebody did like video recordings of his classes for three years in a row and put it up on a website called Write About Dragons. Um, and that was just a treasure trove for me. I think those went up when I was about 18, maybe dating myself there, but they were... Five years ago, huh? (laughs) No, 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 no. I think that website's much older than that. Um, But no, that was just a treasure trove of information for me, and I devoured every one of those videos. So that was, I think, one of my... I'd, I'd done tremendous practice, but very little study of the craft, and particularly very little study from somebody who was a professional in the field who understood, like, entertainment theory brilliantly. 
So a lot of Brandon Sanderson's lessons from that creative writing classes made it into just how I think about the details that you put together. I remember he talks about multi-purposing your details and has this brilliant example of describing a city by using like a detail of a dog. And then dog guy comes up to this city and he sees this dog that is whimpering and he reels away because the dog smells so bad. What does the city look like? He hasn't described the city at all, right. but you know what that city looks like. Oh, oh, and I think the last detail is he's surprised the dog hasn't been eaten yet, even though like it smells bad. So that gives that gives you a place and you're multipurposing the details just by describing one dog. And I thought about that with every texture card I made. And like how can we make these details multi-purpose so that when we're talking about a texture, we're never just talking about the texture of somebody's clothing. We're talking about who they are as a person and how they treat other people and where they come from and where they're going and how they're feeling. Like mm -hmm. there's so much information that you can deduce from the physical textures of people around us. So that's an example of how Brandon, Brandon. Sanderson has influenced these cards. So then all these cards... All these different Mother Earth here, mm -hmm. you evolved or you, you directed, okay, there's Mother Earth, and then the description of that, this is all your writing. That's correct. These are the, the flavor text is all my writing. That's a lot of writing. <laughs> it's actually even more so than that. There's tons of research. Yeah, it's a lot of editing. I, I've really been wanting to do some expanded commentary. We've written expanded commentary for some of the cards because there has been a lot of research that's gone into these cards. You know, for example, the salt card, there's probably like two hours of research I've done at least. And I love sharing those additional details when there's space for them. So we're building expanded commentary into the app so that when you draw a card, you can also look at some of the research that went into each card. Oh, wow. How cool is that? Yeah. And the salt, salt is a, an element card that's one of my favorite examples because... Uh, up until the invention of the refrigerator was one of the most valuable substances on earth. There are multiple instances in history of soldiers being paid with salt uh, in the American Revolutionary War and back in Rome. And, and the history of salt is just a fascinating one. Um, and so there's like I don't know, seven, eight paragraphs of research that just about salt, little details, additional inspiration um, that goes into that card. So I have, I did a lot of research for each of these, trying to understand the literary background, mm -hmm. trying to understand the historical background and looking for bizarre and unusual details that I didn't know about them uh, and trying to put the very best of those inspirational details on the card so people can use these literary symbolism brilliantly got it so now on your research for this stuff because you've you got what's on the cards you have all this this side copy here yeah so was this was this research you did while you were in school or the, after you finished school you said okay then you start doing your your deep dives into it was during school that i did a lot of this but it was independent passion research yeah and this was all here in uh Oh, that was all in Arizona, in Phoenix? Yeah, I was living in Arizona at the time. Um, I still try to read as much as I can. I Stepping forward and wanting to be someone who influences the storytelling industry, I have to be a storytelling expert. Yeah. And so I have been doing my best to skim and read through uh, a lot of the respected and well-known 
writing books uh, and, and research everything from Robert McKee's story to Save the Cat to Joseph Campbell's work to, um, and then digging back into uh, Aristotle's poetics, which is the oldest literary theses in the world. Um, and it's really dense, <laughs> really hard to read. I, that one was like, I had to, to put a pen and like paraphrase each paragraph as I went so I could keep track of what I was reading. Just because I, I really want to understand story theory. And the more I understand, the better I can take all these theories and, and simplify them right. to one set of advice that creates like the most efficient path for young authors to write great stories quickly. So on, so now we've got a young author and they want to be able to go about using this. Is there on your website or is it you have to get the deck to be able to get that, like how you actually use it to implement it so that it's not a big runway, but that they can get it and just immediately or not immediately, but like rapidly being able to access what you've put into this stuff here? Yeah, um, and uh, hopefully as you get to play with these a little yourself, you'll yeah. see how intuitive they are. Oh, I saw a lot of stuff there. It was like, but for me it was, I wasn't going the direction of storytelling. I was going the direction of just, like just, just the memories and the various like, wow, that's a really cool, just not thinking of that particular perception. You know, just like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we do have, so the box uh, comes with instructions inside it and I, one of the reasons my voice is so raw this week is because I was in a recording studio all last week recording like 16 new tutorials. So we're working on video tutorials and putting them up on our website to show people how you use the cards for a wide variety of purposes. Mm -hmm. um, and I love getting requests. So if anyone ever has a question for how to use this for some particular thing in their story, you're always welcome to email me directly. Uh, how do they do that? Laura at Mithulu.com. L-A-U-R-A at M-Y-T-H-U-L-U dot com. Um, and just submit a tutorial request, and we'll try to turn one around within 14 days. So we, we have these tutorials that we're trying to put out, and uh, the videos on our website are everything from three-minute drawings on alternatives to a tavern or personal magic systems to 45-minute drawings that show where it's a live consultation with a real author on how to put together a short story ending for an anthology or something. So we try, and you know, and there's everything in between. So we try to have a diversity and once Mithulu Inc., this software, the vertical market software is up and running, one of my next jobs is going to be to um, build out a, there are three layers of videos that I know I need to create. One is business training, one is minimum English mastery for the industry standard writing qualities, and then uh, highly competitive writing. Mm -hmm. um, so those there's going to be three series of educational videos that I'll, I'll build out uh, once Inc. is up and thriving. I get it. So now, I know we've talked about this, but and we've got like three minutes left here. But it says, every card comes with bonus commentary. Mm -hmm. So how does a person access that bonus commentary? Through our mobile app. So that's the bonus commentary we were talking about. And we're probably a month or two out from releasing a massive upgrade to our mobile app. The current version has some, some bugs, but it is like the first tech project we've ever put together. So that's been, we've learned a lot from it. But the, the new version of the app is going to have some guided layouts, a wide diversity of commentary and, and uh, just a much more functional user-friendly interface. So 
So then to get the the app, then the person just goes to the app store? Yeah, you can go to the app store. It's on uh, the Apple App Store or Google Play. Okay, then you just, what's the name of it? Mithulu Creation Cards. So if you search for that, there's a little purple icon that pops up. And then that then just takes a person then to, when you get that card, then you can, it sends you to the yeah, so videos the, or is it just more It's more text? text. It's more text. And in the current version, there's like a little info icon at the bottom. It's down by like the check mark so you can accept the card, reject the card, or look at the expanded commentary. Those are your three options. In the next version, um, the expanded commentary will show by default uh, with the same view as the card so you can kind of see it peeking out from the bottom and you'll just be able to scroll up. Mm -hmm. the, the app also has some uh, electronic-only decks that are kind of fun. Right now on there we have dialogue boosters and travel experiences and we're also about to put up um, flavors, energy flows, uh, plot progression, and, um, and a horror deck. So... Really cool expanded uh, expansion packs of electronic-only cards also available on there. Wow. Amazing. Just how far cards have come. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This has been so much work, so many all-nighters, uh, probably 2,000 cups of coffee for me personally. I don't know. Oh, easily on that. I'm really grateful for the team that I have. Um, so you, can ex you, so you can have your extended sleep. What'd you call it? It's not to stay awake. It's extended sleep. Uh, Coffee. Oh, <laughs> postponing fatigue. Postponing. postponing so fatigue. a lot of postponed fatigue. Yeah. With uh, putting this together. And I, I am very lucky. My, my husband has made a huge difference in my life since meeting him. Um, Mithulu has thrived a lot more. I feel tremendously loved and supported by how much he believes in this project. So I, I'm keenly aware that this project will only thrive as like more people join and, and come in to help. This is, this is a group project. Yeah, but it's also, so, it's important having somebody like yourself at the helm that so believes in it, that can share that. Because it, you're very contagious on your enthusiasm, so that's, that's great. I work really hard to be a safe and approachable person. Um, well, you've succeeded at that. Thank you. And uh, I wish you all the best with this project here and look forward to uh, seeing more as it goes. And hopefully this podcast makes a, a difference as well in thank you, John. awareness. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere via Amazon. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by L. Ron Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Laura. My pleasure, John. John.